0: Uh, Hello? All right, I couldn't see myself for a minute. Um, Well, good morning. Uh, Good to see everybody here online. Uh, Just want to just say hello to everybody. And also, if there aren't any visitors here today, Uh, I can't see everybody who's online today. But um if you're joining us today for the first time or if you've just been visiting it's been uh, good to see you and um, hopefully we'll be able to see each other face to face again one day um as we worship together all right um <clears throat> if you're joining us here and if you haven't joined us in a while you know that we've, we've been looking at this letter here to the corinthian church by paul in first corinthians and we're now in chapter five and we're gonna just. I'm gonna just look at the whole chapter here, um, but I want to do it in a way that I think hopefully will be a little bit more understandable to many of us here today. Because as you've heard this passage that was just read, um, or even if you read it, it's, it's a difficult passage, and it, it talks about a lot of difficult things. And going forward, it, it may be uh, a little bit more uh, sensitive, a little bit more difficult. It's it's a hard passage to to kind of make sense of, especially today in our world, as Paul deals with issues in this church and kind of goes about telling them how they ought to uh, manage it. So um, I'm gonna twist this one just a little bit, kind of hopefully boil it down to, I think, a few essence points and uh, to help us to kind of make sense of what Paul is talking about here. As we read this because it sounds pretty hard. Uh, It sounds even harsh in some ways. And I think it's important to understand why Paul is talking the way he does. All right, so let's look at this very carefully. Um, If you know already, and if you're a Christian today, you know that living as a person of faith uh, living as a Christian trying to be trying to be faithful trying to live, I guess, rightly before the God that we say we believe, uh, before the Jesus that we we say saved our lives, it isn't always easy, is it, Uh, to try and live like a Christian every day? I mean, it's not as easy as we thought it would be. It's not as easy as we think it is. And sometimes, if you're really honest with yourself, uh, and if we're honest with ourselves, we find ourselves doing things, uh, thinking things, saying things that we know we shouldn't do, think, or say, right? There are times also that we we don't do and we don't think or we don't say what we know we should, especially as a person of faith. And I think all of us at some point have experienced this, haven't we? It's It's kind of almost like we're hypocritical in many ways, right? To to say we believe this, but kind of do the opposite, or to say we believe that and not do what we're supposed to do, um, we're, we're like walking contradictions sometimes, uh, trying to be consistent with what we say we believe, to walk the walk as much as talk the talk, we could say, right? And if you've ever felt like this, if if, if you've experienced this, you're in good company, because even the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter to this church in Corinthians, look at what he says in... Romans chapter seven. This is what apostle Paul says. He says, I do not understand my own actions for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing even the apostle Paul experienced this sort of conflict or this contradiction in his life as a Christian. And there are many, many probably reasons for why we are like this or why we struggle with this. But the bottom line here is this, that living and growing as a Christian isn't, isn't easy. It's, it's not always easy. Uh, It takes effort. It takes struggle. It takes, it takes patience. It it needs mercy. It needs, it needs grace. Uh, It needs forgiveness. But here's the thing that I want us to understand as we come to look at this passage a little bit, sort of a bird's eye perspective here, and that's this. The thing about living as a Christian, all right, if you're a Christian or if you're thinking about one, to be one, is this. It was never meant to be lived alone. It was never meant to be lived alone. Yes, individually you might be a Christian. Individually you may have come to faith, right? But the Christian individual was never meant to live or grow individually, but they were to do this communally, corporally. They were to do this with the help and the encouragement from others, from other people. Uh, Rachel Evans in her book, Searching for Sunday, she says this, quote, they remind me that Christianity isn't meant to simply be believed. It's meant to be lived, shared, eaten, spoken, And enacted in the presence of other people. They reminded me that try as I may, I can't be a Christian on my own. I need a community and I need a church. Paul Tripp in his book, Whiter Than Snow, Meditations on Sin and Mercy, he says this, quote, we weren't created to be independent, autonomous, or self-sufficient. We were made to live in a humble, worshipful, and loving dependency upon god and in a loving and humble interdependency with others our lives were designed to be community projects end quote that's what he says and one of the means of grace that ought to come from our community or from the community of believers that you have one of those means of grace to help you grow uh, along in your faith is this word that i could use and this is word. Accountability. Accountability. I think that's what Paul's talking about here in this passage as he deals with particular sins in this church. For whatever you want to read and however you want to read this passage, the essence of this church, you boil it down and he's really talking about accountability. Accountability. I'm not sure uh, these days, but You know, back in the day, that word was thrown around a lot in Christian circles. I don't know, maybe you used to think like this too. But there were days where people were looking for accountability. They were looking for an accountability partner. They were looking for uh, an accountability group. And and what that usually meant was that you were looking for a person or a group of persons that you felt comfortable enough that you could share your life, that you could listen to, that you could speak to, that you could pray with over any struggle that you could find encouragement in any discipline like prayer or Bible reading. And to basically, uh, these groups would be a resource of growth, and they would hold you accountable, right, to the faith commitments that you've made. And so there was a time where many of us were looking for kind of these kinds of things. But here's what I want us to understand, and here's what Paul is giving us here. The important part of real accountability, I think, and as Paul sees it, is that not only do you have someone in your life that you share with, that you can also pray with, but you also have someone in your life that is loving enough, that is caring enough, that cares about you enough, not just to make sure that you do your Bible reading, but to also call you out, to call you out when you've gone off track. Someone that you could talk to or someone that would talk to you when they see that you're, you're headed down the wrong path, that you're maybe in the wrong direction, or that when you're doing things that you know you shouldn't, you have someone or some group of people in your life that want to kind of help you to get back on the right track, right? That's, I think, an accountability aspect that we see here in Apostle Paul. And we need to ask ourselves this question. Do you have someone like this in your life? Someone or some group of someone's who are like this for you in your life, who you could be like to someone else in your life. And it's not that easy, is it? I think more and more we are lacking in many of these things. You know, the, the George Bonner Research Group did a uh, study in, in our country, and they found that only 5% of Christians in America indicated that their churches or that their church friends did anything to hold them accountable for what they believed or how they lived. Only 5% right? That's what, that's what they found. And there are many reasons for this. The, the, one of the reasons that, that people kind of shy away from, from this kind of, I guess, uh, in-your-face accountability is that it sometimes means that you have to be confrontational. And, and many of us don't want to be that. We don't, we don't want to be confrontational. We don't like confrontation. And so it's not easy for people. I remember in college when uh, there was a brother that asked me to, to, to meet up weekly and say, hey, let's, let's do a, accountability meetings, right? And i was like, okay, fine, sure. And now what I found was that in every meeting for about a month or two, every meeting, we were always talking about my sins and what I needed to do, but we never talked about his sins, right? We all talked about my struggles and what I needed to do, but we never talked about his struggles. And after a while, I, I kind of just felt like I was just being judged and that, or that kind of felt like he was a little bit self-righteous. And so that's another reason we, we don't do this kind of accountability because we, we don't want to come off judgmental. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to be self-righteous. And so we avoid conversations about the other person's behavior. And we, we'd rather be more accepting and more gracious and, and more loving, right? And so these are some reasons that, that we kind of shy away from this. Um, on the other side of things, Barna also says this, and this is very insightful. He says this, the biblical concept of community is that of mutual accountability. But Americans these days cherish privacy and freedom to the extent that the very idea of being held accountable by others, even those with their best interests in mind or who have a legal or spiritual authority to do so, is considered inappropriate, antiquated, and rigid. You see what they found? This is what he says. He says, even though in the church there ought to be a mutual accountability in this sense, Americans these days, he says, cherished privacy and freedom over the idea of someone or some group holding them accountable, right? Even if they have their best interests in mind. Accountability? Come on, let's admit it. Like you don't really want real accountability. You you don't really want that. You might be all for accountability if it just meant that you could have a few people that you could just share and pray with, someone someone that you could just you know talk to and, and always be on your side and make you feel good about yourself and maybe just ask you once in a while if you've done your Bible reading or your QT. But when it comes to pointing out my sins, right, when it comes to talking about my issues or telling me what I should or, or I shouldn't do, get into my private life, that's where the book stops for me of us, isn't it? That's where we start thinking, look, get out of my business. You're crossing the line here. We cherish our privacy and freedom to the extent that if the very idea of being held accountable by others is considered inappropriate, antiquated, or rigid, that's what he says. I don't want that accountability. I I don't even like that accountability. I'm not gonna love it uh, when someone's holding me accountable for my wrongs, for, for my mistakes. I'm not going to like it when someone is going to call me out for, for my sins. You know why? And here's the reason it's not just because it just might be uncomfortable for me to talk about my personal sin. Or, and it isn't even just because I somehow want to protect my privacy and freedom. Here's a real reason I avoid that kind of accountability it's because I love my sin. It's because I love my sin. That's what sin is. That's what real sin is. That's why sin is sinful. Because at the end of the day, functionally speaking, I like this or I like that more than I like God. When I commit a sin, it's not like I'm under some duress and someone's got a gun to my head telling me to be sinful, telling me to do the wrong thing, telling me to be, to, you know, to be against God. No, it's because I love doing those things. I like it. It's, it's my sin. Sinfulness is not just committing a sinful act. Sinfulness is also loving that act more than I love God and refusing to give it up, just refusing to give it up. And so, of course, then I'm not going to like accountability the way Paul is describing or the the way we hear about it. I'm not going to like it in that sense. But here's what I want us to know today. That is precisely why I need it. That is precisely why we need it. That even though it's hard, it's so important as a person who's trying to grow in faith and be faithful. Uh, Again, Paul Tripp says in his book, the foolishness of sin tells us that we have all that we need within ourselves. So we settle for relationships that never go beneath the casual. We defend ourselves when people around us point out a weakness or a wrong. We hold our struggles within, not taking advantage of the resources God has given to us. And one of those resources that he's given is an accountability that ought to come from fellow people and brothers and sisters in your faith. If there's any kind of accountability that we need the most as Christians, I think this might be it. I think we need someone to get into our lives, to be able to speak truth in love to tell us when we're off, to tell us when we're doing something that we're not even aware of, to remind us even as we are sharing that that there's things that we need to look at, that we need to change. I need someone like that in my life and I need someone to point it out. And it's not ungracious to do that. It's not unloving to be able to do that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he said this in his book on fellowship, he says, nothing can be more cruel than the leniency which abandons others to their sin. Nothing can be more compassionate than the severe reprimand, which calls another Christian in one's community back from the path of sin, right? That's what he says, it's not unloving to be able to do this if you really care about someone in your community. And so when I look at this passage, I'm gonna just quickly summarize just three three simple points. Number one, What do I think here Paul is saying is this: why we need accountability, number two, what accountability seeks to do, and number three, this relationship dynamic that accountability demands, okay? Why we need accountability, um, what accountability should be doing, and the relationship dynamic behind this accountability, okay? So let's look at this. Now, when you hear about verses, uh, when you read verse one and two, there's some weird things going on in this church, right? It's what Paul calls here uh, sexual immorality. And I'm not going to get into the details of what that is right now. Uh, We'll do that later on in in a few weeks down the line. But let's just say, I don't know what you know or what you think about physical sins like this, but apparently, according to verse 1, the thing that they were struggling with, wasn't even tolerated among pagans. In other words, whatever Paul is addressing, it was so bad that even non-Christians were disagreeing with it, okay? And it has to make you wonder, for a church who thought they were so spiritual, or for a church that thought they were so gifted, so godly, so Christian, how do they engage in, in such a terrible thing? How hypocritical could they be? And I want to be clear here, he's not even talking about accountability with regards to one particular kind of sin. But if you read verse 11, he's also mentioning things like greed, idolatry, swindlers, so on and so forth. And I think what the general point here is that Paul is making is that in general, when we see unrepentant sin, especially in someone that we care about, it needs to be challenged. That's what he's doing. It needs to be held accountable. Why? Why? Because in verse 6, he tells us why. He says this, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Why do we need accountability? Here's why. In verse 6, Don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, now, what is he talking about here? Well, Paul is using this illustration from the practice of Passover, a Jewish Passover, where Jews were to eat only unleavened bread. You know what that is, right? It's like it's pretty much like flatbread, bread that hasn't risen. Uh, and it's something that, that the Jewish people still practice today. And what they would do is that they would make sure that they would clean the house from top to bottom to make sure there's no bacteria or no yeast that gets in the dough for the bread. Because if it does, everyone knew only a little bit of that stuff gets into your dough. It ruins the whole thing for Passover. And so Paul's using that illustration or that that thought. And he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. lump. And by using this illustration, With regards to sin and accountability, he's saying this, that the reason why we need accountability in our Christian lives is not just because there's one particular sin that you're doing that is so bad or so wrong. I mean, that might be reason enough, but it's also because even a little sin like a little leaven can make the whole thing worse, that all it takes is a little. Maybe unseen, maybe unnoticed, but it can have a pervasive effect. We need accountability because sin, when it's tolerated, when it's excused, when it's ignored, when it's indulged, even, it can become like an infection that will spread eventually. It becomes like a slippery slope. This is what Paul's saying you know, you let this one go, then it's the next one that goes, and it becomes easier to let the next sin go, and it becomes not a big deal, and it leads into other sins. This is what Paul means when he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. When we make excuses for one sin, then there's pressure that builds up to make the same kind of excuse for another sin, and then another one, and then another one. And so this is why Paul is advocating for an accountability that addresses sin, not just individually in our lives, but also corporately in the church. Because if we're not careful A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And both the Christian and the church can find itself on a slippery slope where it becomes very hard to put the brakes on. This is the danger that Paul says, we need to be careful for, and this is why we need accountability. It's not just because we're struggling with one thing, but one thing can lead to another and another. And unless someone tells us we need to stop or we need to think about things a little differently, it becomes a slippery slope. And so I think that's one reason that Paul in our passage uh, gives or says uh, we need accountability, why we need accountability. Second point here is this. What does it do? What does accountability, what should it do? And however or whatever you want to say about how you want to do accountability or what its process is here in our passage, I just want you to simply know this. The goal of real accountability is simply this to help bring someone we love and someone we care about back on the right path, back on the right track. That's what accountability tries to help with. And in fact, that's what discipline does, right? I mean, those of you who are parents, those of you who are aunts and uncles, you, you know this. you see your child or your nephew or niece go the wrong way or look, maybe walk towards some kind of danger. What do you do? You, you want to bring them back. You want to protect them. You want to keep them on the right path. At least go in the right direction. But even though that's the goal, I think that's what accountability should do at the end of the day. Um, what's emphasized here in our passage is the way we do this. The way we do this is also so important. When you look at verse 2, Paul says this to the church with regards to their sin. He says, ought not you to mourn? Ought not you to mourn? In other words, when we hold someone accountable for wrong, even serious wrong, we don't come with a self-righteous attitude. We're not there just because we want to be morally correct, we want that person to be morally right. We don't take joy in just pointing out what's wrong or, or what's— and certainly we don't just vent anger at what we think is, is just bad. We don't take joy in pointing out a fellow brother or sister's issues. But rather, Paul says to this church, ought you not to mourn? Ought you not to mourn? Ought you not to sympathize? Uh, are you not to empathize as a person who also struggles in your own particular issues to grieve for the struggle of sin in someone else's life? In other words, it's not easy. It shouldn't be easy. It can be hard. But whatever it is, the very least, it should at least be a heart-breaking responsibility. It needs to come from the heart, this kind of accountability. And sometimes the best thing that we can do, apart from confronting a person we care about, is also to pray for them and to plead with God from our hearts to bring them back, to wake them up, to even restore a brother or a sister who may have gone astray. That's what we do. Right, that's what needs to happen, and the way it needs to happen. All right, so why do we need accountability? Because Paul was worried about uh, getting on that slippery slope of sin, falling for, falling more and more apart from God. Um, what does accountability do? It it, it it needs to seek to win back someone that we care about, to set them back on the right track, to help them along in their faith for growth. But to do it, to do it with a sense of uh, not just seriousness but mournfulness. Uh, regretfulness, heartfelt empathy, okay? Now, the last point here is this. There's a relationship dynamic behind this kind of accountability. Look at verse 7 or listen to verse 7. This is what he says. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, celebrate the festival not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Do you listen to, do you hear what Paul's saying? Paul, again, is going with this illustration of unleavened bread, and he says, clean out the old leaven so that you can be new. New and unleavened bread. Why? Because in verse 7, that's who you really are. You are, quote-unquote, unleavened bread. And Uh, Let me just explain this. This is so Paul, right? This is so Apostle Paul. And I don't know if you remember what we said at the very beginning when we were looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but for Paul, one of the things that accountability does is not just to confront our struggles or issues in community, it's also to remind ourselves and one another who we really are. Who we really are. We are to be held accountable to our identity. And for Paul, understanding, believing, trusting in our identity, who we really are, it ought to fuel, energize, empower our doing, our obeying, and our living for him. And so he's telling this church, he's holding them accountable, not just for what they're doing wrong, but he's holding them accountable for what God has done right in their lives. And he says in verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, he's been sacrificed. That because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, he's made us unleavened. He's made us holy. He's made us his. This is who you really are in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is saying, so live like this. Get the old leaven of sin out and then be who you really are in God's sight. This is the the relationship dynamic that Paul's working with. Notice what Paul's doing. He's not calling out this church and saying, what are you guys doing? I I can't believe you're, you're actually doing this. Are you guys really a Christian? Because if you're acting like this and you're doing these kinds of things or you're thinking these kinds of things, I don't think you're a Christian. Paul doesn't do that, does he? But just the opposite. Paul, because of their relationship to God in Jesus Christ, He holds them accountable to that relationship and the identity that that relationship has created. This is who God has made you to be in Christ. That's what he's saying. So he says, so come clean. Live out your real identity. Be who you really are by the grace of God, not just individually as a Christian, uh, as you discipline yourself to try and walk in goodness, but also corporately together as you hold one another accountable to walk in righteousness, trusting in Christ. You know that hymn, the famous hymn that we sometimes sing? It goes like this, We're the whole realm of nature mine, that we're an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Love so amazing, so divine, it demands my life, my soul, my all. And if you're still sensitive to accountability like this, if you're still sensitive to what people might know about you, or if people might judge you if you share something, or if you're still being sensitive to whether you could maintain your own privacy so that no one knows what you're doing, or that you're worried about who might be the one to actually hold you accountable, whatever it is, you know, forget all that. Live in light of the cross. Live seeking to do good then. Be good. Live for Christ individually and together as the family of God. If for any other reason, simply because you sing and you confess love so amazing, so divine, it demands my life, my soul, my all. And when one of our family members begins to wander off, we are then called to use all the means that God has given to us to get through to them in an effort to try and win them back and to see them flourish in their life. We need accountability, okay? We've seen what accountability should do and the way it should do it. And the relationship dynamic that accountability demands is this, that if we live in light of the cross, seeing how Jesus has loved us, right? Then we love what Jesus loves. And we want to please him in the way we live. And that means this that we love holiness and righteousness, but we also love mercy and forgiveness. And we ought to love one another enough to practice faithful, tender, patient accountability as we call each other to walk together in Christian obedience. That's what we do because of that relationship with him. And so I want to ask you again, do you have someone like this in your life to hold you accountable in your faith this way maybe it's your spouse maybe it's a good friend maybe it's a fellow church member maybe maybe it's the church itself but whatever it is i hope you do find someone or plug into something like this but secondly i hope you understand that paul is also saying it's the job of the church to also be able to try and do this out of mercy and grace because of our relationship with Christ, to pursue those that we loved as Christ has loved us. I pray we do that together by his grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your